I want to ask a question today. Uh, who, who needs God, and, and why do we have to believe in God? Have you ever wondered that? Why do we have to believe in God? I mean, why can't we just know? Why can't we just know about God? I've never doubted if my marriage with Megan was real. It wasn't faith that brought my children into the world. As a matter of fact, them crying as babies every night waking me up was regular proof of their existence. They were real. No faith required, no belief. They made sure that I knew that they were real. So why is it that with someone and something as important as God, do we have to believe? Why is it something we have to believe? And, and maybe to that point, some of you are wondering, why is it so hard to believe? I mean, these are questions that every single one of us have asked in the room at one point or another. It doesn't matter if you've got a lot of faith or if you have a little faith or if you've lost your faith or if you're regaining your faith. Um, if everyone is here is being honest and we encourage that sort of thing, honesty, well, we would all admit that we struggle from time to time with belief in God and, and all of that. And maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe this morning you were wrestling with why do we believe or do I have to believe? And I don't think that it's necessarily a sign of disbelief. I don't think that it reveals that you have lack of faith. I don't think that it means you're weak. As a matter of fact, I think that the more you explore God and the deeper you go with God, that these are the questions that you begin to wrestle with. You will come to this point where you have questions and the answers are not easy to come by. And so let's begin today a six-part conversation. Whereas our last series was week one built, and then we got week two built on week one, and week three built on week two. This is literally one message in six parts. And so it's going to feel a lot different than anything we've ever done before. And so you're getting the introduction part today. And so whereas my introduction usually takes three minutes, I'm going to take 30 minutes today. Um, and hopefully that makes you want to come back. If I don't do a good job today, I'm sorry. And uh, I guess we won't see you again. But who needs God? And I posted this on our church's Instagram, and a lot of the comments that I got was, I do. We all do. Everyone needs God. And so some of you would say, yes, we all need God, uh, but we don't always live like we need God, right? Now, some of you would say, we don't need God. I don't need God. No one needs God. But you find it really kind of hard to completely dismiss the plausibility that there is a God. And for others, you don't care who needs God and who doesn't need God. Your question is, who needs religion, who needs religion? And the reason that people are pulling away from religion is not because atheism is so attractive. Rather, it's because religion is unattractive. Let's get that straight. I'm sure that you've read a post this week on Facebook. There's a bad headline in the news and somebody posts something and their response to the bad news is, we need more religion. Religion is the solution to whatever problem it is. And you might not say anything, but you're kind of looking around in the world and at everything that's going on, and you're thinking, I don't know if religion is the solution. As a matter of fact, I think religion might be the problem. No one has to admit if that's where you're at this morning, but I know that that's how we feel. Uh, for example, right after 9-11, um, a significant percentage of Americans began to disconnect from all religion. So many people disconnected after September 11th attacks that they got their own group. That's what happens when enough people do something. We name the group, and this group is the nuns. Not to be confused with Catholic nuns, N-U-N. These are the religious nuns, N-O-N. 
and E, the nuns. And as a matter of fact, there are nuns all around us. 25% of Americans would identify as a nun. Uh, 35% of millennials, about one-third of all millennials will identify as a nun. Now, you might be asking, am I a nun, N-O-N-E? Am I a nun? Well, have you found yourself saying things like, I don't know about faith. I don't care about belief. I don't need God. If those are the things you're asking, then yes, you are more likely than not a nun. So you can call your mom and tell her to stop worrying about you. You can tell her to stop praying about you. You went to church today and you found out that you were a nun. Okay, it'll go over really great. Just go with that. Um, It's not necessarily that you found atheism interesting. It's not necessarily that. It's that you've lost interest in religion. What I think that we'll all find very interesting is that the biggest group of nuns, so you have this nun group, who makes up the largest portion of that nun group? And it is people who grew up in the church. It is people who were formerly Christians. That might surprise you. It might not surprise you. But my question is, why do you think that is? Why is it that the largest group in that nun group grew up in the church. Well, I don't want you to think about it too hard because I want to give you my answer, okay? My answer is that it is the church's fault. It's my fault. It's our fault. If you're a believer here today, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And when we read from the New Testament, the Gospels, and we read about Jesus, we find out from the beginning of Jesus's life, a lot of people liked him. A lot of people liked Jesus a lot. As a matter of fact, if you were reading closely, you would notice that the only people who don't like Jesus are religious people. Okay? So we're like, okay, interesting. So people liked Jesus a lot. And here's the thing you probably caught. Jesus liked them too, right? They liked Jesus and Jesus liked them too. And if you are a believer today, we are told over and over that we are the body of Christ. We are Christ's bride. We are the body of Jesus. And so if Christianity isn't compelling, and if Christianity is so easy to leave and to walk away from, it's not because of something Jesus did or didn't do. It's because of us. I hope that doesn't feel like a punch in the stomach this morning. I just think that we need to be authentic and real and talk about the things that you are already thinking about from the time you leave here until you come back. And that is what we are trying to do. As a matter of fact, if you listen to people who explain why they left their faith, these are called deconversion stories. You can read about them. You can listen to them on podcasts. There are YouTube videos, and there are people who talk about their deconversion story. And if you listen, and if we wouldn't talk, if we would just listen, you would get to the end of their story, and you would say, wait a second. I don't believe that either. Wait a second. Who said you have to believe that? What we find often is a consistent theme in these deconversion stories is that there are things that people have believed because a church told them or a church leader told them and they overemphasized the wrong things or they put an excess on the wrong things and all of a sudden that became the main thing and people were like, well, I don't really like that. And they walked away. It wasn't God that they walked away from. It was us. People like Jesus. They don't necessarily like his church And so for the next month and a half, I want to try to correct that, at least with this group here today. I hope you'll come back. But first, I'm going to need to blow some things up. 
And you might say, no, you, need, you already blew a lot up, Stephen. One more. What is there? Anything left? Yes, there is. The next three weeks, we are totally going to deconstruct a few things. Next week, we're going to deconstruct God. A lot of us have kind of this mythological belief in God, and we, we believe things about God that, frankly, are incorrect. Week after, we're going to talk about the Bible. We've kind of bought into some fables about the Bible that aren't true. And this week, I want to talk about disbelief itself and how we have oversimplified disbelief. Now, here's the thing. I need to put in a disclaimer here. I am not arming you with new arguments to take into the lunchroom this week to fight with your one atheist coworker. You do not have my permission to do that. You may not passive-aggressively post our YouTube video of this message on your lost cousin's Facebook wall. That's not what this is for. But my prayer of this series is that when we get to the end of six weeks, you will be better off and we will be able to have smarter conversations with those people than we do now. We cannot keep having the same mundane conversations about faith. If you've been on Facebook for more than a year, you know how the script goes. Somebody says something and you already know somebody's going to chirp in and say this or that. I want this series and everybody who's a part of this series with us to be elevated so that when we see those things on Facebook, we hear those things at work or in our neighborhood or in our family, we can elevate and have smarter and better conversations. Many people who have stepped away from Christianity have done so because of some unsettling outcomes. And it's true, if you're a Christian, there are some things that are unsettling about our faith. But here's the thing. Unsettling is not a truth test. Something can be unsettling and true. Let me illustrate this for you this morning. Who has a daughter? Does anyone have a daughter or a niece? Raise your hand. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay. Her teenage boyfriend is going to be quite unsettling to you. That does not make him not real. That does not make him untrue. It's unsettling, but it's true. As a matter of fact, it's unsettling because it's true, right? Okay, so it doesn't matter if she brings him home. You say, oh, nope, it's unsettling. He can't be real. He can't be real. You can try to ignore it, but he's not going away. Okay, so unsettling does not mean it's not true. And while atheism isn't necessarily surging in our country, if you look at the percentages, everything has pretty much stayed the way it's been in the last 30 years. Um, atheism isn't surging, but I think that we need to talk about atheism because atheism is not simply, I don't believe. And I think that sometimes we've oversimplified that. Well, I don't believe. Oh, well, they're an atheist. No, not quite. You see, atheism is a complex system of beliefs that, just like Christianity, leads to some unsettling conclusions. That's true of both Christianity and atheism, belief systems that lead to unsettling conclusions, okay? This is not an argument against atheism. This is not an argument for Christianity. This is about being well-informed and, again, elevating that conversation. I don't know a ton about atheism. I pastor a Christian church right? So I'm kind of talking about some stuff that I'm not necessarily the expert on, but I will be quoting some of the experts in this field to help give you a better idea. Now, I want to talk about if you are an atheist or you're thinking about coming in an atheist or if you're taking a step toward disbelief, 
I just want to arm you with some information because I think that if you're going to step toward something, if you're going to step toward unbelief, you deserve to know what you're stepping toward. If you're walking away from God, you're absolutely walking toward something. Well, what is it? And I think, again, if you're like me, you want consistency in your beliefs, right? So let's talk about it. Um, some of these things you might be familiar with. So something that if you are a, a, an atheist, part of this belief system, is that you believe that something came from nothing. Okay, that's just part of atheism. Nothing, something came from nothing. And what do I mean here? There's not one person in the room, and as a matter of fact, there's nobody out in the world who can tell you what happened before the Big Bang. No one can tell you that. Why? It's really easy. Before the Big Bang, there was no time, there was no space, there was no matter. Poof, after the Big Bang, there's time, space, matter. But before, there was nothing. And as a matter of fact, the science world, I found this interesting, the science world is still waiting on somebody to come up with a plausible theory, a believable hypothesis to how all of this something, everything, could come from nothing. So if you're going to be an atheist today, one of the things that you have to believe is that there was nothing and then there was something. Now, just because we don't know the answer doesn't necessarily make it untrue, right? I'm not arguing against atheism. I'm just saying that if you're an atheist today, one of the things that you have to grapple with is that you believe something came from nothing. The next thing you'd have to believe is that first life emerged from no life. There was nothing and then there was something and then that something became alive. It became you at some point. Okay? Um, now, like me, you were probably taught this in school, if you went to public school, as far back as you can remember. So it seems really simple. We, we remember the little graphics of the little monkey guy, and he turns into the, yes, he stands up straight, and then it's like, ah, oh, there we are. But don't let that fool you. Because even the most simple forms of life are immensely complex. Okay? The likelihood that there was nothing that turned into something, and then that something turned into us, that's kind of hard to believe. Hard to believe doesn't make it untrue, but I'm just saying, if you were an atheist this morning, that would be one of the things that you need to believe. You absolutely need to believe that there was nothing, there was something, and then something turned into us. How did that happen? Well, then you'd believe that natural selection is responsible for life. Okay, Natural selection is kind of the process in which all life forms came from this single life form. So everything that we've seen, everything that's come and gone, extinction, you're still here, we all came from this one life, okay? And natural selection is the invisible force that led us to where we are today. I can't bring a box in to you and show you what natural selection looks like. I can't Google an image and say this is what natural selection looks like. You just kind of have to, dare I say, have faith in natural selection, and the process that has got us here today. Again, just because we don't know it, we can't see it, we can't touch it, doesn't necessarily make it untrue. But if you're going to be an atheist, you have to believe that natural selection is why we're here. So those are kind of maybe some of the things that you've heard before, you're kind of familiar with. I'm, I'm sure I didn't tell you something you didn't know, but I would like to talk to you about a few things that maybe you didn't know, and these are kind of what the new atheists would come out and believe and, and that they've written a lot of books about. And the first one is the illusion of the mind. Hang, hang with me on this one. This one's cool. Um, the illusion of the mind. Okay. If there is no God, there is no you. If there is no God, there is no you. You have a brain, 
a physical brain that we can put on a table and look at. But the mind, there's no such thing as the mind. That's just chemicals in your brain reacting. In a world that there is nothing except biology, there is no mind. Author and atheist Christopher Hitchens does a better job at explaining this than I ever could in his book, Mortality. Okay? Hitchens passed away in 2011 from cancer, and in his book, he writes about his final moments of living in life. So it's kind of this interesting book about this atheist who's coming to the end of his life. He knows he's going to die, and this was what he's thinking about. Okay? And he talks about how he's going to the doctor's office, and doctors are telling him, you know, Christopher, your body is fighting, your body is trying to, your body is reacting. And Hitchens finally tells him, and he writes in his book, I finally said to my doctors, you can tell he's fed up, I finally said to my doctors, I don't have a body, I am a body. I don't have a body, I am a body. Do you see what I mean? Christopher Hitchens, it makes more sense than anything I could ever explain. If there is no God, then there's just biology. There's just physical reactions. There is no Stephen. There's just this body. There is no you. There's just your body. And it doesn't matter how uncomfortable that might make you feel right now. Just because it's unsettling doesn't make it true. Okay? So that's the first thing we need to embrace if we're going to say that there is no God. The, another thing we need to say is that there is no free will. There's an illusion of free will. In a world that's governed by physics, there is no room for free will. Everything is determined. You thought you chose your coffee this morning. You thought you picked where you're going out to eat for lunch. You thought you picked who you dated and who you got married to, but that's just an illusion of free will. You see, in a world governed by physics, everything is determined. Again, I think somebody else explains this better than I could. Stephen Hawking, a theoretical physicist and atheist who passed away last March, one of the most brilliant people who have ever walked on the face of the earth, he believed in determinism, and he said everything is determined. And so because of that, nothing else really matters. And then he kind of makes fun of people. He's like, I noticed that people who believe in this stuff that's governed by physics, I noticed they still look both ways before crossing the road. Stephen Hawking has a little bit of fun with it. He says everything is determined. Now, I'm not arguing that that's not true. I'm not arguing that Things aren't determined. But then you have to accept that every natural disaster, every fire, every earthquake, every tsunami, every tornado, every act of terrorism, every school shooting, every time you turn on the news, you have to accept it's just determined. person didn't have any choices to do that. It was just all governed by physics. There's really nothing we can do. Might make you uncomfortable. Unsettling is not a truth test, though. You can absolutely believe in that. Okay, so then if there is no free will, if there is no mind, we have to address that there's an illusion of value. There's the illusion of value. There's no room for value in a world of chemistry and biology and physics. What do I mean? It's not just financial value, but you and I, we probably put value in other people. We put value in work. We put value in exercise. We value a lot of things. We have values. But in a world in which there is no God, there is no actual value. This is important, okay? There is only ascribed value. There is only value if you say there's value. Sort of. Remember, everything is predetermined. So you're not really picking your values. The universe has picked your values for you. But there's only an ascription of values. Now, this is a big deal because if there is no values, if there are no values, there is no justice. 
The easiest way to illustrate this is what's popular with my generation, the millennials, is that we came out and we said, there is no absolute truth, which is an absolute truth. Makes sense if you don't think about it, okay? So we said that there is no absolute truth, and uh, in that sense, there is no value. There's just the ascription of value, things that we ascribe value to, then there is no justice. Well, Marie might have her own justice, and Dan might have his justice, and Mike has his justice, but my justice might be different. And who's to say who actually has justice? As a matter of fact, who's to say Mike, Dan, Marie, and myself are wrong? Well, no one, because there's no actual value. We could argue about how we came to our conclusions, but at the end of the day, we're kind of predetermined to have these values. Why is this a big deal? Well, if we ever want to get rid of like global human trafficking... Or if we want to break down systematic racism, I think that we have to come to a point where we say there is actual justice, not just ascribed justice. might make you uncomfortable, doesn't make it untrue. There is the illusion of value. Now, here's the thing. I'm guessing that if you've lost your faith, or if you are losing your faith, that for most of you, it has absolutely, positively nothing to do what I, what I just talked about. You didn't have this great faith. You didn't just believe in God and everything was hunky-dory. And then you read a book about the illusion of the mind and you said, you know what? That makes a lot more sense than Christianity. I think I'm going to try this for a while. No, for a lot of us, it was something else. Now, some of you might be thinking, and again, I'm not an expert in atheism. I wanted to start that way. I want to end that way. I am not an expert. But maybe some of you are thinking, well, I don't believe in God but I don't believe in that, and I don't have to believe in that. Well, that's fine. You can think that. Just remember, some of the smartest people in the world disagree with you, okay? People who have spent their entire lifetimes studying this saying, oh, yeah, if you don't have belief, and if you're atheist, this is your belief system. And whether you like it or not, these are the unsettling conclusions of that. My point is, though, today is that if you're struggling with faith, it's not because of an infatuation with atheism or disbelief. It's not because atheism became appealing to you. Rather, it's that the current version of faith that you had or the version of faith that you grew up with became unappealing. You have lost and you've lost interest in God, not because of God, but because of us, his church. And if you're willing to come back next week and the following weeks, and you're willing to keep having this conversation, I'm going to do my best to convince you to come back to faith. Today wasn't an argument for atheism. It wasn't an argument against it. I just wanted to start here and say this belief has pros and cons too. And there are unsettling conclusions also to disbelief. We're going to talk not just about atheism. I don't want you to think that I'm picking on people who don't have no belief because next week we're going to break apart some of the images of God that we've conjured up that aren't true. And a week later we're going to talk about the Bible and some of the things that we've kind of maybe exploit it a little bit. After we blow everything you hold sacred up the next few weeks, we're going to get, begin to rebuild. So I'm going to ask that you hang with me. I'm going to ask that you come back next week and the week after and the week after. And if you're unable to be here, I'm going to ask that you subscribe to our YouTube page and watch the videos. I'm going to ask that you go to your small groups this week and that you discuss this with people in your small groups. We're not going to come out and give you canned, simple answers for complex questions. We're just not. So if you were coming today and hoping that I was going to tell you that, well, all you got to say is this, and then all of a sudden it's going to be like this, I'm sorry to disappoint. 
But if you're looking to go deep and wide and elevate the conversation, if you really want to make a difference in Madison and in your friends' lives and in your family's lives, then keep engaging in this conversation. Keep discussing it. Keep asking questions. And as we keep going through this series, I think that we're going to find who needs God. Well, I think we're going to discover that everybody needs God.